Welcome to Money Memoirs, a taboo-breaking interview series sharing intimately uncensored conversations about money. I am Barry Tesler, a financial therapist, author, and creator of The Art of Money, my year-long money school and global community. Join me as I connect with brave folks from all walks of life to explore their experiences with money from their greatest struggles to triumphant celebrations, to lessons learned, and unexpected discoveries along the way. These interviews are raw, heartfelt money stories. They're vulnerable, inspiring, and always authentic. These interviews are a snapshot of the personal connection and practical support you'll find in my year-long money school, The Art of Money. The Art of Money is a holistic framework that integrates money healing, money practices, and money maps. And it blends together therapeutic body-based practices with so many real life tools that you need to create healthy, sustainable change in your money life. If you'd like to learn more, head to barrytesler.com. For now, get comfy and cozy for another intimately uncensored money memoir. Today, I am very happy to welcome you to my Money Memoir series. These interviews are a series of stories about people's relationship to money, the kind of stories that you almost never hear because we all tend to keep them so private unless we're talking with a close friend. I've invited a handful of colleagues and friends to these interviews, and they've been very gracious and brave to let everyone listen in as they share some behind the scenes from their money life. Today, I have the honor of talking with Jaquette Timmons, financial behaviorist, author of Financial Intimacy. I've had the honor of interviewing her before, but more about her work, and so I'm, it's wonderful today to get to hear some of the behind the scenes. You can learn more about Jaquette on my site. Welcome, Jaquette. So happy to have you today. Thank you so much, Barry. It is a pleasure to be here. So the way that I'm starting all of these out before we dive into some of the behind-the-scenes money stories is I would love for you to share a snapshot of your family, work, life right now, anything that feels important to share. Yeah. Um, I think the piece that I'd want to share right now, and I think it's kind of uh, relevant and has some resonance with where we are <laughs> right now, uh, big picture we, um, is the whole idea that serves as the foundation of the work that I do and how I do it. And that is the notion that we don't manage money as much as we manage our choices and more particular as it pertains to money, our choices around money. Um, and so I think that, you know, in terms of getting to know the people that will be listening to um, our conversation, them having an awareness that that really is the springboard from which all of that, all of what I do comes from, whether it's coaching, whether it's uh, doing a workshop, doing a keynote, sitting on a panel or writing either for myself or for others. That is really the, the genesis, the seed point that is going to influence everything that I do, that I say, and that I create. And that is that notion that we don't manage money as much as we manage choices. 
I love it. It's brilliant. I mean, it just shifts everything. You know, most traditional financial management books, and folks, that's how they're talking about it. You know, I'm going to teach you how to manage your money. We need to know how to manage your money, and on and on and on. And we kind of just feel stuck in that. What does that mean? (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs) And so I love that you're just shifting the perspective um, to show us um, really what we're doing is we're looking, we need to understand our choices. Um, yeah. And that we do have choice, yeah. and that that's what we're really um, unraveling and pulling apart and dissecting and looking at what's important to us, where are our values, how do we make choices, and that that's really what having a good, healthy, conscious, savvy, and on and on relationship to money really truly is. Yes. Beautiful, beautiful. Yes. Yes. Any, yes. Yes. Any, yeah. Anything else about life that feels important about? Family, animals, where you live. Give us a little, little bit more of a, of a, a snapshot so we can see and and get a sense of where you're at right now and what's important to you. Um, well, I live in Brooklyn, New York. I live in a brownstone. I have two fur <laughs> babies. <laughs> cats or dogs? Cats or dogs? They're cats. They're, They're cats. cats. Um, yes, you're a cat lady. Yeah, me too. <laughs> oh my God. Um, if I could have a dog, I would, but I can't. But I have my fur babies, and they're they're awesome. Uh, one is Nook, and then the other is Ella. And I got Ella uh, sadly when my mother passed away. Uh, Ella was my mommy's cat, and she's now a part of the household. And she has come in, and from the moment she walked in, she was like, "Yeah, this is my house." <laughs> <laughs> How old is she? So we have a sense if we're cat lovers. How old is she? Um, so she's probably now going to be in April. I think she's going to be three. Because my okay. mother actually got her as a kitten about four or five months before she died. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you 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 are continuing the lineage there, and you've taken her over, and I love that she she she's she's doing her thing. She's doing her thing. <laughs> this exactly. Is her home. Exactly. This is her Good. home. <laughs> and it's so funny too because for someone who was the self-described not a cat person, it's really kind of funny how I have just embraced these two beings. <laughs> And I can't imagine not having them. Like the thought just is like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, I love that you're saying that because it happens. We either were dog people or, I, you know, we're, we're just neither. Or, you know, I grew up with dogs. And then I, mm-hmm. you know, I also said I'm not a cat person. And then one day, you know, it just changed. And Yeah. <laughs> we, we we identified, you know, we, we, we let them in and realized, oh, maybe we are part cat or there's just a lot more going on here. Oh, I love Exactly, it. I love exactly. It. Beautiful, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. Okay, good. Thank you for that. That, that fills, oh. fill, fills it out a little bit more. So, <laughs> so let's dive in. Let's dive okay. in. So, um. I, I want to hear first, what is the main emotion or or emotions that come up for you around money? Now, of course, this is your work. You know, you're doing your work. You have been for years. It doesn't mean we don't 
have emotions that come up or we don't have money issues. We all do, right? So what's yeah. the set of – what's the – concoction of emotions that comes up for you now and maybe what's the concoction of emotions that used to come up that has shifted over the years? I think the timing of your question is um, really apropos and interesting in that, you know, I am no different than any of my peers. I'm no different than any of my clients (laughs) and that our relationship with money is constantly evolving. And, you know, sometimes for me, it's beautiful. Sometimes it's challenging. Uh, Sometimes it feels easeful. And sometimes it feels anything but. Um, But what's interesting is around, I guess, maybe late October, early November, I was just really, really, really frustrated because it just wasn't flowing (laughs) the way that I wanted it to flow. And um, I realized that I personally had to undergo an internal shift. And once I did that, and that internal shift really had to do with my business model. And once I made the shift mentally, once I made the shift on paper, once I then publicly announced the shift, things just shifted. And I share that because I think sometimes we can get really caught up in what's not working, because that's normally when we begin to pay attention, when things are not working. Um, We get caught up in what's not working, and we want to try to fix what's not working. But sometimes there's nothing that needs to be fixed. All you need to do is make a different decision. And so for me, what that was, was making a different decision that from now on, so beginning in 2017, what I used to provide for free, which were assessment calls, I am now providing for a price. And now I'm shifting my model so that indeed, or in fact, that's the only way to start working with me. So if someone wants to, you know, begin to work with me, you first have to go through a financial analysis session, and then from there we'll figure out what to do. Um, And it is just really kind of amazing how that recognition of I didn't need to fix anything. I just needed to look better at what was in front of me, make a different choice about what was in front of me, and then interestingly enough, look what opened up. And so, yeah, I, I feel like I'm, you know, rambling on right now. <laughs> no, you're not. I mean, you're speaking my language. You're speaking my love language. And, you know, you know I, I'm loving every little moment of this because you're saying a few things. You're saying, one, is that the emotions come and go. They shift. They cover the whole gamut. Um, and you're the same as anyone else right Mm -hmm, and that these mm -hmm. come and go and it's not as though these emotions are going to go away there's different Mm -hmm. ones that come up and then they shift and that the most recent one um you you started asking different questions and you went to your business model which is one of the places i go to all the time you know when Mm -hmm. when people talk about fees or they do that thing of charge what you're worth or raise your fees or um, or people being upset at how much people charge. There's just, I always say we can't just talk about pricing. We always need to go to the business model. 
You know, we right. need to see the fuller picture yeah. of, you know, all the different offerings, what's the hype price point, the medium, the low, what needs to be tweaked and adjusted. And for you, you just went in there and said, okay, this is something I've been giving for free, and that was fine for the time, and now that's my time, and I need to start, you know, charging for that. And that that, that little adjustment is going to make a big difference energetically on many levels, on many, yes. many levels. And so, so, so identifying that, do you, did you – did the emotion shift pretty quickly? Did the energetic shift pretty quickly? What shifted for you in in making that different choice or different decision? It all shifted. So energetically, yeah. I felt better. Um, I felt a difference in terms of the reaction when communicating that to people. That felt different. Um, and, you know, I started I, you know, I don't want to draw too many, like, you know, this happened and that happened, but I don't want to um, overlook the fact that I've been getting more and more payments coming through. <laughs> yeah. So, I, you know, yeah. um, I do think that there is some sort of, of a connection there. Hmm. So, the, you know, there's so much to it because and sometimes when emotions come up, we, we go to the body and we say, you know, how can we feel this? Or sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm trained as a therapist, so sometimes people say, well, I want to understand the meaning, or I want to go back to my childhood to understand where this came from. And that's all good, too. But sometimes in the moment, literally just going to the business model or making a concrete shift in the balance or the equation of time, energy, resources, um, it's literally more of a practical thing that needed to shift, which is what yeah. you did. Yeah, yeah. De definitely. But I also think that, um, with that practical shift, I think the other message that's there is we don't always have to work. Like, we, I, I think as a society, and I know that personally I have made this error, and I'm sure others probably can relate, we have this notion that things have to be hard. We have this notion that work has to be hard, that earning the money that you earn, that the process of doing that has to be hard. And I think what this also was a demonstration of is kind of chipping away at that misconception. No, it doesn't. Do you have to sometimes work hard? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that you have to always feel like you're banging your head up against the wall to make something happen. And so I think this was also a, a way of kind of addressing and chipping away at that, that belief. Love it. Love it. One, one last piece of this, and this is something I know we both talk about, and I don't want to make meaning out of it, but the concept of value and valuing, valuing yourself mm -hmm. is coming up. How did this, how did that, this concept play into that? Was there a shift? Was it simply you were noticing a place you were working too hard? But again, that free assessment, it worked for a while, you know, or yes. that, was a, mm -hmm. that was a stepping stone. Mm -hmm. Was there a shift in claiming your value more? Is that not your language? Um, it's not my language, but I definitely understand it. And I would say this. Um, one of the other shifts is that it's okay if I can't help everybody. Mm. It's okay if uh, there are some people that can't 
afford to work with me. It's okay. Hopefully they'll find another way, um, you know, one of the other options that might be more amenable to their resources. Um, but if not, then hopefully they will find somebody else um, that they can work with at the price point that they need. And I think realizing that um, I can't be there for everybody and still take care of myself the way that I want to. Right. Um, and yeah, like I think getting really clear about boundaries and yeah. not feeling bad when I say no or not feeling bad when someone says, but I can't afford you. Right, right. So, okay, boundaries are very significant, you know, as we keep fine-tuning this and we're really evaluating time, energy, health, all of it, right, and resources. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have a book that's a much lower price point, and you have free resources and articles all over your site as well. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so but I but I hear you. Yes, not everyone can um, pay for the private work, and and it, right. Yeah. yeah, right. And and not only that. I mean, sometimes um, you know it could be a. Um, a nonprofit wanting me to speak and me telling them I cannot speak for free. I'm happy to work with you <laughs> in terms of, you know, perhaps lowering my starting um, fee for speaking engagements, but I am not showing up for free. Yeah. Like just being really firm in that, um, I think sometimes can be off putting for some folks because they feel like you should do something. <laughs> and in their response of to that, I can I can then feel like, oh God, well maybe I should have. But once I work through the process, it's like, no, you, you, this is what you put on the table, and either they say yes or they say no. Yeah, and I imagine at one point you did say yes to that. You know, you did do you did give the free or the pro bono services, or, or right. you did do those speaking gigs, and you did that for yep. some time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. And I think yeah. that that's the other thing that I had to, like, you know, look at in terms of, you know, my full body of work and the full amount of time that I've been at this. So it's like give yourself credit for all of the things that you have provided, either pro bono or at a nominal cost, and let it be perfectly okay for you to fully step into no, we're not doing it that way any longer. Yeah. At this at this phase of your life, that doesn't exactly. work on many on many levels. Yeah, it, exactly, it, it, exactly. And I and I will say this, and just in terms of you know just being, I guess, um, authentic about it, there is one organization that I will um, quote unquote speak for free. Um, but not only do they pay for all of my travel-related expenses, I've also gotten $10,000 engagements as a result of showing up to speak on their behalf. Yeah. So in my mind, one, because I've been working with them for many years, um, that, that's very different than someone that I don't have a relationship with um, and that I haven't gotten something at some point on the back end from to then ask me to show up and do something for free, and you're going to ask me to get on a plane. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. A whole thing for me as well. So, I mean, what you're you're also, what you're really speaking to is 
how important and essential boundaries are. They are from the beginning, but as we go and as we continue to do our work year after year and we're in the field for many years and we have a whole body of work that, you know, boundaries just just need to be in place more and more and more because we're getting so many more requests and we simply can't say yes to everything. We can't. Um, And we can't give in every single possible way, even though in moments we want to. But Mm -hmm. we would be insane and crazy and not healthy and sick and, you know, all these things. And it it, it doesn't ultimately serve us. And so it is about choice, and we have to pick and choose. And because we are, you know, we have limitations or physical Mm -hmm. limitations or we just do. And so, yes, at some point we have to get super clear about yes and no's and all of that. I, I really get it. I really get yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's yeah. why clarity is so important, you know. <laughs> the clarity in all of this, yeah, of yeah, our choices. Ex- exactly. And, 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 and the, the clarity of your choices, the clarity of why uh, the outcomes that you want to have come to fruition, why do those matter to you? You know, to me, that's the ongoing work uh, that needs to take place. Um, but the clearer you are, not only is it that the firmer your boundaries are, but also I think you ultimately end up feeling good about whatever choice that you make. And even if the person or the persons on the other side may not like your choice in that moment, you're also setting an example for them for how they need to be clear, for how they need to have boundaries, for the ways in which they may or may not be honoring their boundaries. And so you end up using that as a teachable moment, even though that's not your intent. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. So let's go back a little bit and – because you didn't just wake up with this clarity when, you know, you didn't, you didn't just early on have this clarity. There's, you know, we all have narratives from our childhood. We all learned, you know, I would, sometimes I say positive, negative things from our parents, but I really prefer we, we have strengths and we have challenges and we all had things to overcome, right? No matter what background we came from, mm-hmm. um, all of us do. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your upbringing and what you learned from mm-hmm. your family of origin around money. And and I'm going to add in a second piece, so it's going to make it a fuller piece here. But so this series, I'm also starting to ask people what lineage they came from and what's their ethnicity. And the way I'm wanting to ask that is to share my own um, and then ask you what yours is and what you feel from your lineage or ethnicity has also shaped your money story and narrative in conscious and unconscious ways and in beautiful ways and in challenging ways, you know. And so I, when I say lineage and ethnicity, I've always identified myself as I'm Jewish, um, more culturally than religious, and all of my folks, my grandparents escaped from Russia, which was which is really the Ukraine now, but they used to say Russia. So I'm second-generation immigrant um, from Ukraine, and Jewish is my lineage, ethnicity, and culture. And I'm now starting to say I'm white, too, and freckly, but I never said that before. I never identified in that way, but with what's happening, especially, well, in all over the world, but especially in the U.S., I'm starting to look at, you know, my own upbringing, 
my own lineage, again, the pain and the beauty and the privilege and starting to talk about that more. So if you're willing, I'd love to hear from you, Shaquette, a bit about your lineage and ethnicity and upbringing and, and what you've learned from that and how you've brought that to where you are today. Sure. Um, so if anybody hasn't seen <laughs> my photo on Barry's site yet, I'm black. Um, I am black, though, by way of my father was Jamaican. He came to the States to work on his Ph.D., and my mother is American. So actually, I'm Jamaican-American, um, but for simplicity, I just say black. <laughs> um, and I grew up mostly with, well, not mostly, entirely, really, with my mother because my parents separated when I was two. So... I grew up um, in a single-parent household. Before we left New York City, which is where I was born, um, my mother was a professional musician, so she traveled all across the country um, as a you know, musician. And quick sidebar, one of the things that was just so fascinating um, is that when I was going through and cleaning out my mother's home and getting it ready for sale, I came across a ledger that my mother had. And it was so historical because it's just like, it just explained so much. <laughs> but in this ledger from 19... Uh, you mean a financial ledger? A financial yes. ledger? Wow. Wow. Yes. <laughs> it, wow. Was, it was in the early 70s. Um, and it was before we left New York, but it was, so like I said, she traveled all across the country and she had um, sung at some particular university. I can't recall it right now and I don't have it in front of me, but she had listed all of her expenses. She had listed what the agent owed her. She had listed what she earned from that gig. It was amazing. Mm. Mm. <laughs> mm. And it really kind of explained a lot in terms of my mother's approach to money and what she had, you know, kind of uh, drilled into me. So my mother retired wow. from, you know, singing professionally um, and then started working for Social Security. And after 38 years, that's from which she retired. Um, but Can I ask up, you what kind of music she sang? What, 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 what did she sing? Yes, yeah, she, uh, she was a jazz vocalist. Mm -hmm. So she played the piano um, and she had a jazz band and they traveled all across the country on the coffee house circuit, mm. singing at all the colleges and universities. And so my mother has stories of, you know, um, traveling someplace in the South and, or even in the, you know, lower Midwest and getting there and all of a sudden they don't have a room for her because my, obviously my mother's black, but her band was white and, you know, her agent was white and the agent would book the band at a hotel and only when they got to the hotel would there be an issue. So there's so many interesting stories. <laughs> Uh, on that front as well, and which makes what's going on, you mentioned what's happening politically in the U.S., which makes a lot of what's going on really tough because it's just like, you know, some of the things that people want to kind of deny is happening. <laughs> For some of us, we know that that is real because we have family members that experienced it. Um, but that's a, that's a digression. <laughs> Well, um, it's all part of it. It's all, it's yeah, all part true. of it right now. That's very true. 
That's very true. Um, but, you know, so all of that is to say, you know, we were not wealthy, but we also were not poor. I mean, like I said, my mother worked for the federal government. My mother was very, very, very disciplined when it came to saving, but her, you know, sophistication when it came to investing was not there. But, um, you know, even when I babysat or when I worked in the mall, <laughs> my mother would make me save 50% of whatever I earned. And her rationale was, what do you have to buy? <laughs> <laughs> mm. Mm. And you're you and were you over there going? I have so many things, or did you <laughs> not feel there were so many things? No, I didn't feel that there were so many things. And you know, the one of the things though that I I really appreciated having my own money for, and some people are going to just chuckle at this, is the fact that my mother liked Colgate toothpaste and I liked Crest, and so I would use my own money to buy Crest, but she wouldn't buy it for me. Those are. <laughs> Those are big things as a kid. My child just discovered Crest. He won't do our natural toothpaste, Tom's. He wants Crest. So I love that. So for you, having your own money was empowering because you could buy the toothpaste. Those little things, you yep. know, yep. make such a difference. Yeah. So totally, totally, totally. Can I ask you what you when you saw her ledger? What did you see? What did you feel? I mean, that is a powerful moment to see the numbers and the way she was spending or her bills or her lifestyle, you know, how she was living right there on the page. So it was, it was, it was like everything. If I can just, it, it, it was everything. It was, I got the biggest smile on my face. It was just like my mother was talking to me, even though she wasn't there. And it was one of those, okay, mommy, I really get where I get this from. <laughs> it explains so much about the work that I do and why I do it and why I'm passionate about it. But then it also brought up, how the heck did you make this work <laughs> mm -hmm. on this, you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, I realized that the cost of living was very, very, very different then versus now, but still... You look at it and you're like, wow, that's how much that costs, and wow, that's how much she earned. It was, it was just really, really fascinating, and I'm just glad that it was in such great condition. Wow, wow, what yeah. you know, what it, I, the archives. There's another word for it, um, just for that to be passed down, for you to see it. You know, yes. after you're already steeped in your work, you know, after you've been yes. doing it. And then yeah. see. So what else? One or two more stories or or lessons did you learn from her? And then we'll go into a challenging money experience. But what else did you learn from your mama? You know, I think the other thing that I learned from her that I really didn't appreciate until after my mother died was she never, ever compared herself to what other people had or didn't have. Mm -hmm. And my mother was the kind of person who had friends from all economic, you know, they fell at, at both ends of the spectrum, if you will. And she never felt the need to try to keep up. <laughs> she was happy with her modest home. And how that hit me 
was that, yes, her home was modest, but my mother died without a mortgage. And not only did she die without a mortgage, she had that mortgage paid off, like, I think maybe 15 to 20 years before she died. And that would not have been possible if she were the kind of person that was trying to keep up with the wealthiest person in her circle. And so I think the lesson that I um, only began to really, really appreciate is you all need to do you. I need to do me. She did her. Anybody else that's listening, you need to do you. And sometimes that's going to mean not having as big of a house or as big of a car or as fancy as this or fancy as that. Or there are just certain things that you will not be able to do because of the choices that you've made. But it's all good. And I think that that really, 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 really came home for me um, during the process of not only, you know, cleaning out her home, but being able to go through everything and decide what I'm going to keep, what I'm going to give away. And then also when I, you know, ultimately sold it, which I didn't do, you know, for probably um, 18 months or so um, after she died. But the only reason I was able to I was able to take that long was because all I had to pay was taxes. Mm-hmm. I'm really appreciating how it sounds like when you were younger or growing up, you at moments wanted her to be different or spend differently or uh, keep up with, you know, the I other folks. I didn't want her. Okay. I didn't you want wanted her. It for you. I wanted it for me. You wanted it for you. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but it's in it's 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 an it's on reflecting on her that I realize there's a lot of power in being being comfortable in your own skin, and that means a lot of different things. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, a little side note, but this is something that struck me because I was in Jamaica for the very first time um, two months ago. Mm. My family mm-hmm. went to Jamaica, and. Um, one of our dear TAs, teaching assistants, that's part of Art of Money, Makita, she, she's from Jamaica. She grew up in Jamaica and Brooklyn. Ah, and, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, she's not in Brooklyn right now, otherwise I would say, please meet. Um, and I got to have a behind-the-scenes chat with her and learn so much more about her upbringing in Jamaica and Brooklyn and being raised by a single mom. And one of the things that um, really stood out was that um, both her parents, though, um, education was such a huge value. Oh, yeah. It was such a huge value yeah. for her. So there, there was never yeah. a question, you're not going to college. Or totally. It, it was, yes, I'm hearing, I mean, <laughs> that stood out for me. You oh, know, yeah. Visiting Jamaica <laughs> and starting to learn about the culture and the spirit of the people so much. And we're definitely going back. It was it was incredible. Um so say say something about that because also for me it was expected of me even though I was the first woman to go to college which I didn't even realize until oh, wow. recently. Yeah, I didn't even wow. realize this. Wow. So t- so tell me it sounds like that was just part of yeah, it was it, it was it was expected. It was, not going to college was never ever even a possibility. Which is why when I listen to some of the uh, rhetoric that I hear now, it just makes me kind of crawl because 
I, 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 as well as all of my close friends, we all <laughs> have, we all come from households where going to college was expected. And for some of us, having a postgraduate degree was actually the minimum, not an undergrad. So yeah, education is huge, 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 huge. Okay, probably so much more there. I'm going to bookmark that. I feel like there's more there. Because, <laughs> um, you know, as far as who's well, paying for it, scholarships, all, you know, there's so much in that right now. Um, we're paying for my child to go to private school, Montessori, even though I went to public school. And I and me and my husband do say maybe he won't go to college because he won't need it. But as I'm hearing you, you're over there going, wait a second, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, everyone needs to go to college, and I have a graduate degree, too, so, you know, and, we're, you know, I think the, the, the school systems are changing, some of them need to change, They're, you know, there's so much to this conversation, too. Yeah, okay. and, and if I can just yeah. add this before yeah, we move do. on, though, um, part of the reason that I think uh, education is a bit challenging right now is because we've moved from education, at least at an undergraduate level, being about exploring to it being about it has to train you for something very, very specific. And so we're asking people, you know, at very young ages, what do you want to do? Who do you want to be? And that is a really good question to ask. But I think to make this correlation that you are going to go to college and you're going to go to college to do this particular profession and that's what you're going to do. I think that is probably why on some level education has kind of faltered. And so for those that, you know, went to undergrad and they wanted to do um, literature and maybe where they went, it was really expensive for them to do that. And then they get out and they can't find a job to pay back that fifty or $60,000 um, loan maybe that is something that needs to be explored. Like how can you get that literature degree and not have to go into that much debt in yeah. order to do it? Yeah. But I think it is not right to then say that um, we don't need to push it, especially yeah. if you are a person of color, because that is just the one thing that no, so you're talking about, you know, there's so much there. I think part of the reason why, um, at least the black families that I know and the Caribbean families that I know, one of the reasons why education was, was such a thing for us is that no one can take that away from you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for clarifying that. Thank you for clarifying that. I mean, there, there's two things that are coming to me. One, um, you know, you're shifting my mind a bit because my graduate school at Naropa, which was more of an alternative learning environment compared to my undergrad at Madison, Wisconsin, which was just traditional, um, unfortunately, you know, learn stuff and spit it back out and regurgitate it, you know, and mm -hmm. I, I was very lost. Um, um, although I did, at 20 years old, Audre Lorde did come to speak at my college. And oh, I wow. Went, I went to her, and, and my four years of college, that, seeing her live and being, and, and, that was one of the most monumental moments, you know, I could have ever had. Mm -hmm. um, so there was that, you know. But right. as far as education, 
um, there was not much going on. But graduate school was a full exploratory, um, find out who you are, um, learn how to be in the world, find out your strengths and your challenges, all of it, and then train to be a therapist. It was it was a combination. Right. And it was an incredible right. education, right? So there's that. Coming back to what you're saying is that, you know, I, I one of the other interviews that I did is with um, Makeda, a man, um, a dear friend, and he's African-American, and he said that, you know, his thing was, well, as as – as black people today, though we have to do twice as much as what a white person has to do. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we not only have to go to college, we have to get our graduate degrees, we have to get our PhDs, we have to. So there, there's that. Of, yep. Yeah, so. Yeah. And at the same time you're saying this is something that can't be taken away from us. Right, know? right. So I'm just sitting with both of those concepts. Um feeling as though or the need to still prove yourself, you know, at this level twice as much as anyone else, and yet this is something that's really empowering to have. Okay, to be continued on all of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I feel like I'm, I'm, I am, I, there's so much for me to learn, there's so much I don't know, and I'm just asking questions, and Am I a little naive on some level? Yes, but I, I need to be asking the questions, even if I'm stumbling right now, you know, because there's still so much for me to learn as a Jewish person, you know, and so I, I just, I just want to keep. So thank you for, for oh, you're for welcome. Letting me ask these questions. Yeah. You're welcome, and I don't think you're stumbling at all. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. think that at all. I just think that, um, you know, what you're tapping into is is one really good because I don't think uh, very many people delve into it to look at the cultural uh, nuances because that's really what we're tapping into, right? A yeah. cultural nuance that, again, has an impact on the choices that you make. Yes, yes, in our relationship to money and all of it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, okay, so let's move over to another biggie question, which is I'm asking everyone to share what a really – challenging money issue experience time that you had what was it and how did you move through it and overcome it or get to the other side and some folks are like well I'm not to the other side and other folks said yeah I'm I'm at the other side and this is how I came through so if you would please share a really challenging money time phase experience with us and how you worked with it and what did you wow um Okay, well, I feel like I shared a little bit um, at the top of our conversation, um, but I think another one would probably be, this is a good one. Sometimes people will ask me, you know, was it hard to start a business? And I will always tell them starting a business wasn't hard at all. Staying in business is what has been hard. And when I started my business, I didn't have any debt. No consumer debt whatsoever. Now I am still paying off debt that I went into to help finance my business. And so I think one of the, you know, tapping on the shoulder moments happened when I was having a conversation and someone was like, when are you going to stop mortgaging your life for your business? 
And I think that was a really good wake up call conversation that again goes back to, well, what am I doing? What am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? What do I need to adjust? And I will always say, at least in my experience, that my business has been the biggest vehicle for me in terms of my spiritual growth and as well in terms of my financial growth. I also think that it has helped me to um, be less judgmental because I think that prior to I was probably really judgmental of people that had debt because <laughs> I didn't grow up with that as being an option um, or, you know, a pattern, if you will. Uh, my mother was like, put it on layaway. You don't get a credit card, <laughs> you know, that kind. Even though she had a credit card, it was, you know, more mostly used as, um, as, an, as you would an Amex card. Um, but, you know, also I think some of it came from, the snobbery of having worked in the private bank and being around a ton of, ton of wealthy people. Um, and some of whom I learned a lot in terms of how they dealt with debt, 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 and, you know, used it as a tool to get what they wanted in, in both their personal lives and in terms of their business lives, that it kind of had me in a little bit of a bubble. And then when I came into bumped up against my own financial wall, if you will, it was really kind of a humbling experience. And I think it is part of why I can work with someone and A, <laughs> not be judgmental of them, but B, help them to work on not being judgmental of themselves. So, you know, one of I have tons of ideas for series, uh, you know, they're like, oh, I hike and I get a new idea. I, I need to do a series on that, right? And one <laughs> of them has been how do we grow our businesses um, and use debt investment money wisely, right? Mm -hmm. um, because in most businesses, there's startup money, there's investment money, there's investment capital, there's you use savings, you use retirement money, you Dip, you use a 0% credit card, you use resources. I mean, you can bootstrap, and many of us do for many years until we get to that moment, you know, or that mm -hmm. phase. And so I imagine you were bootstrapping for a while and then got to a phase, you know. And <laughs> and so so this is something that you're actively working on right now, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah totally. I mean, yeah. it, it doesn't it doesn't go away right away right so that's yeah. another thing it doesn't yeah um it may just because it may have taken you a little bit of time to, to do it or to accrue it it's not like it's gonna oh i got this really great big you know gig let me use that to pay this all off unfortunately it doesn't happen that way um yeah. so i think so that's the short answer to your question but what i was what i was thinking of um as you were talking is that I was actually also playing out something that happens with women business owners, which is a little bit different than um, what I think happens with some men business owners. So I kind of 
uh, try to avoid the whole gender thing as much as possible because I do believe that money is a universal thing. But there are some things that men do differently than women and vice versa. And when it comes to um, our businesses and financing our businesses, women have a tendency to first use their money and then ask for other people's money. (laughs) Men (laughs) tend to use other people's money first and then use their own money. We might want to take a a chapter from their book (laughs) because while I feel as though all of the lessons that I have learned, while they may have been painful in the process, um, I needed to, to, to experience them and learn from them and apply those lessons. The one thing I would absolutely do over again mm. is I would not have used my own money. Okay, okay. I would so, not have used my okay. own money. Mm. So then here's my question because, you know, there's a lot written and talked about these days of, you know, yes, this is, I, I'm with you on the gender. For the most part, I don't talk male, female, and this is, but in moments, right, there's, Mm-hmm. significant shifts of, you know, men more easily ask for raises or negotiate mm-hmm. or all those things, right? There's a few mm-hmm. things like that. So if, you know, and then it's talked about, so you we get, we get investment capital. But there's so mm-hmm. many stories now of that is a really tough road to go. You, you know, you you lose control, you lose authority, you lose creative control, you know, also the kinds of businesses that we have, what are our options for, um, you know, other people's monies, for resources? What, you know, is yeah. it a, a bank loan at a 3%? Is that considered someone else's money? Yes, or it is. is that, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep, totally. So, I, so that's and where, I'm not, okay. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, not even, I'm not even necessarily saying that you need to go the investment route or the angel route, but we are so afraid of taking on debt. So we're afraid of taking that personal loan. We're afraid of, you know, opening an account at a credit union where the rate would actually be cheaper and getting a loan from them. Like we're so afraid that what we do is we use our own savings first. And then once we've tapped that out, then we go and we use credit card and your credit card interest rate, no matter how low it is, is still going to be higher yeah. than a personal loan from your credit union. Right, right. Or or a credit line from your business right. after being in business for so many years, right. I was able to get a 3% um, credit line for my business. Years, you know, it's a year seven. It was something right. like year seven. Right. Okay. So, so, so tell me two ways, both on a psychological level and a practical level of how you're working with this and, and taking yourself through it, knowing that you would do it differently, but you're in it, you know, and you're, and you're paying this off. So how do you hold it emotionally, psychologically, and, and how are you working with it practically? Um, socially, psychologically, I first remind myself to forgive myself, um, that it's not like I went into the debt frivolously, there was a purpose and an intention behind it and it was to grow your business. And so you are, you have done that and you continue to do that. So there's that. Um, And then the practical side of it is, well, (laughs) one way you can chip away at this faster 
is if A, you increase your rates, and two, going back to where we started, like once you start charging for some of the things you've been giving away for free, that's going to give you more cash flow to chip away at this a lot faster. Beautiful. Beautiful. So forgiveness is huge. It's huge. Forgive- yeah, it's totally it's huge. It's really, really huge. You know, I was doing my work for a year or two, and, real- and at some point I realized I completely left out that concept, you know, and people weren't letting go and, for, you know, they, they were not forgiving themselves or someone else and mm-hmm. their God. And I realized, mm-hmm. oh, my God, <laughs> we cannot. We, so, this, so I just want to really, like, you know, explanation mark is underline that, you know, in a beautiful, gentle way. Like the emotional, psychological work is of forgiveness. Like we all make mm-hmm. mistakes. That's how we learn. Yeah. That is yep. how we learn as humans, right? Yep. So yep. Um, you, you learn, okay, you would do this really differently, so you need to, you need, you need to add in forgiveness there. Yeah, yes. beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Beautiful. Beautiful. So a final question here to wrap this up is, let's see, um, you know, one of my last questions is going to be, you know, what, what's on the horizon for you? What are you working on? with your relationship to money because it's never-ending, as you said. As I say, we're always fine-tuning, and you've already shared some things of what you're working on in the next year and how you're adjusting your business model. And it also brings me to the concept of money legacy, which is something where I I realize it honors our past relationship to money, working on at that level, present, what we want to shift, and also our future. So if there's anything else that you would like to add of how you're working on your relationship to money, how you're working on your money legacy, and if there's any other thing that you're working on um, on any level, practical, emotional, psychological, or spiritual, as you move into the next year. So I think one of... um, One of my approaches is to ask the question I wonder more often. I wonder what would it take if I have, so say I have a particular goal of how many financial assessment sessions I want to have. I wonder what would it take to make that happen? I wonder what would it take um so another example, I just submitted a proposal to do workshops and to also provide financial coaching for a certain number of employees. Um, and the price that I quoted was 30000 They didn't flinch, but they also haven't yet said yes. But someone in one of the mastermind groups that I belong asked the question of everybody, well, what would it take for you to like double basically whatever you just recently submitted a proposal on, um, what would it take if you doubled that? Or if you looked at your current offers, what would it take? So my question to myself was, I wonder what would I do differently in terms of how I positioned the offer, in terms of how I'm thinking through what I am providing in that offer to make it so that just like they didn't flinch at 30, they wouldn't flinch at 50. Mm. Mm. So I think for me, 2017 is going to be um, more often 
asking the question, I wonder, and exploring where does that stretch me to in terms of what I ask for, in terms of what I include in, in the pricing of what I put out there, I wonder. Mm. I love it. I love it so much. I, I, I think it's so important to be asking new and different questions. Mm-hmm. And I love this question of yours, Jaquette. I wonder. You know, I wonder what it would take. I wonder what it would be like. I wonder. I wonder. I love it. It opens up um, the space, the room for just so many new possibilities. Right. I love it. Jaquette, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you for just being brave and open and willing to go in any direction of all these (laughs) questions that I've been asking. How was it for you to answer these questions knowing it's going out live? It was fantastic. I love it. I love it. Some some people are like, it's fantastic. Some people are like, all right, I'm going to have a vulnerability hangover or I'm already having one, and I'm not surprised. You're like, this is great. (laughs) No, this is really awesome. Thank you so very, very much. Thank you for joining me with this Money Memoir interview. I really hope you found something here to take with you, whether it was a lesson, some inspiration, or even just a little grace for yourself and where you are in your money journey. If you're feeling called to wade deeper here, please pack your financial goals, soul deep aspirations, and grab your favorite person. The Art of Money is a holistic framework that integrates money healing, money practices, and money maps, and blends therapeutic body-based practices with real life tools that we all need to create healthy, sustainable change in our money lives. So if you'd like to begin your money healing journey with the art of money today, learn more at barrytesler.com.